great to see everybody here this morning. Um, if you're a guest here with us today, we welcome you and we thank you for choosing to join us here at Life Center today. Amen. What a great day. And, uh, you know, we're in the, we just concluded last week. How many of you guys enjoyed last week with Pastor Todd here? Last week was fantastic. And I told Pastor Scott, I was like, you know, I don't think we could have wrapped that one up quite as perfectly as he did. And it's like he had been here plugged in the whole time. So Hot Topics has been our theme for, you know, several weeks. And, and we focus specifically for four weeks on hot topics that relate specifically to the family. And so uh, I, I felt like it was, a, it was a great four weeks. We had the kids in here with us. How many parents are happy the kids are not in here? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it was great. Gave our Livewire uh, volunteers a, an opportunity to rest a bit and get in here with everybody else. So it was just a great few weeks. And uh, today we're going to, we've got a couple more weeks of hot topics. And so today, today we're going to be talking about a particularly hot topic um, in our city, uh, in our country, but more specifically in our city. And, and when I first before I kind of let you know what we're talking about, when I first met my wife, um, we were on a road trip, and she was reading a book. And I'm driving along, and I, I, I keep watching her. She's reading this book. She's into the book, and then she would flip back to the back, read for a minute, and flip back to wherever she was and keep going. And then, you know, a little bit longer, she'd flip back again. I'm like, what are you doing? And she was like, well, she's like, whenever I'm reading a, a particularly suspenseful novel, She's like, I have to go back, you know, if there's a character in there that I'm following, the hero or the heroine of the story, I've got to go back and make sure their name appears near the end so I don't waste my time on a book that that dude's going to die halfway through. <laughs> so she would peek, and for the longest time, I used to always tease her for peeking uh, into the book at the end. The whole point of reading the book is not knowing what's going to happen. No, I've got to make sure I have this thing under control. So I'm, I'm going to use a bit of her strategy with this, and... and uh, uh, I, I'm not going to really uh, tell you the, the, the whole theme of what we're talking about through the course of this message. So before I, before I unpack it all, I'm going to tell you what the end is so you know what it's about. Okay, you ready? So if you're taking notes or you're particularly uh, paying attention and you're gonna, if you're going to fall asleep at some point today, you're already getting the end of the message right now. So it's two things that we're going to talk about today. This is the focus of our content, and that is this. We, look at your neighbor and say, it's talking about you. We are created and commanded to love others like Christ. That's number one. The second thing is we can't love others like Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So this is the message right here. I want you to remember this. So whatever I dive into today, I want you to come back to these two things. We are created and commanded to love others like Christ. And secondly, we can't love others like Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So today, the hot topic we're talking about today, it's, uh, in my opinion, it's a plague in our nation and it's a curse in our city. It's the topic of racism. I told you guys a few weeks ago that, um, that this was coming and it's a very, I have wrestled with this and wrestled with this because it's a very controversial conversation. The topic, just by saying it, when I said the word racism, 
without even thinking about it, people just automatically, their brain made some adjustments and they're categorized things and they're like, what's this guy up here going to tell me about that today? What does he know about that today? And so we do it without even meaning to. It's just how we're wired. It's our makeup. And so I, I know that about us. I know that about me. And so when we dive into this topic today, that's why I told you the end of the message first. <laughs> when we dive into this topic today, it's going to get a little bumpy. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. It's going to be a little challenging. And so you know how uh, anytime you, you, you go into an, uh, an agreement, uh, you get a cell phone, you get a credit card, there's always a disclosure statement, right? Just clarifying the thing. So I have a disclosure statement, a couple of points I want to talk about this morning. First of all, the disclosure is this. In my opinion, and I'm smart enough to know some of this will be my opinion, so I'll give you that. I'll try to let you know when it's Andrew's opinion. In my opinion, the issue of race, hatred, bigotry, all of that is not a discussion about politics. It's not a discussion about whether you're conservative or liberal. It's not a discussion about whether you're Democratic or Republican. In my opinion, this topic is really a discussion about people, about hurt, and about hearts. That's really what it's about. And I'm going to unpack this as we go along and help you hopefully um, understand that when, when politics and things of that nature get involved in heart issues, they mess it up. You can't... Uh, well, well, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, the second thing is, I want to say this up front. I did not grow up or have ever lived in an inner city or an impoverished ghetto where a debilitating cycle of poverty robbed me from an education, from opportunities with employment, and just opportunities. I did, I did not grow up in that fashion. Many people have. And there's plenty of st statistics to support the difficulty, almost impossible odds to rise from that kind of condition to live a better life. Sometimes it is absolutely impossible. So you'll have generation after generation that is locked into a cycle that they cannot break out of. So I'm telling you that I did not grow up in that environment. So before you disqualify me from what I'm going to talk about today, I'm letting you know right up front that that is not my life. That is not how I was raised. I will tell you, however, that I did grow up in a foreign country, a third world country in Africa. So I do know from my perspective what it feels like to be identified, specified, have expectation levied on me simply because I was a different color and simply because my belief system was different. So, no, I did not grow up in that category, but I did grow up in a situation where I have been, uh, have felt and experienced the discomfort, the anxiety, the unknown of being the odd one out. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Next thing. I told you this a minute ago. I will do my best to let you know when it's Andrew's opinion, right? What I'm focusing on today is what did Jesus say about this content? What does the Bible say? When Jesus was on the earth teaching disciples, speaking the message of good news, what did he say about this issue? Because he said plenty about it. And so that's where we're focusing today. Remember, we're called and commanded and created to love like Christ loves. And we cannot love like Christ loves without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. This is a spiritual thing. It's not a natural thing. So I wanted to make those couple of statements so that I don't 
You don't immediately dismiss me as not knowing what I'm talking about or having no reference points, okay? So I've kind of laid a good foundation. You guys can follow me on this one? All right, getting a few nods. All right, so here we go. Um, what is it that, that Jesus talks about when we talk about this particular topic? What is it that the Life Center is doing its best to represent when we're talking about this kind of concept? We believe and teach and preach around here you guys should all know this. There are four things we do. We want people to know Christ. We want people to discover freedom. We want people to find their purpose. And we want people to make a difference. Now, I will say this. We are called as Christians to be salt and light. Right? We talk about that around here. So the, in those four things, the purpose of helping someone find Christ is so they can find freedom. So they can live free from bondage and sin and things that addictions that lock them down. They can live a better life. And then when you discover that you have a purpose in this life, that God didn't just make you to be a lump of flesh. He created you with a purpose and a destiny. And when you start living that out, you begin to make a difference. Because when Jesus called those 12 men together, the disciples, and he said, I'm going to leave you, but I need you to carry on this message. You are going to be the ones that are going to change the world. And... It is easy, I've said this before too, it's easy in our current economy and our current lifestyle in the United States of America to be a Christian. It's not, there's not a lot of persecution attached to it. Right. You can say I'm a Christian and most people are like, sure, that's fine, great. You know, I go to church too. It's become very, I don't want to use this the wrong way, but it's become very easy, right, to be identified as a Christian. There's no threat on our life or nobody's going to kick you out. It's, I mean, it happens, but it's very rare. So knowing that, what does it mean when Christ is telling us that we're called to be world changers, that we are called to be salt and light and something that makes an impact? This is what it's talking about. And as we unpack this today, you'll start to identify and understand what it means when we become the church, when we begin to live out uh, making a difference. In my opinion, here's another one of those, in my opinion... It is not the government's job to fix racial issues. In my opinion, it's not the school's job to fix racial conflict. In my humble opinion, it is the church's job to fix racial strife. And the reason why I say that is because it is not really an issue of color. It is not really an issue of creed. It is an issue of whether or not a person's heart is healed or not. Legislation can't fix the heart. Jesus fixes hearts. Rules and regulations can't fix emotion. Jesus can heal emotion. It's the church. The, in my opinion, another one. <laughs> in my opinion, the church has become very quiet on a topic that is very controversial for obvious reasons. However, we are also called to step up and speak what is true. And it hurts my heart to see this kind of uh, debilitating hatred being lived out in the streets of our city simply because no one is saying anything about it. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack some examples here today and help you see some things today. And so making this very real. First of all, I've got some, I've got some news articles I, I picked up. These all happened last year. So this hasn't been a long time ago. I'm going to roll through these quickly. First one is a guy by the name of James Harris Jackson. There would be an image on the screen. Okay, I'm going to read this story. An African-American man, Timothy Coleman, 66, on the picture here, was stabbed with a sword, a sword, multiple times in midtown Manhattan. Just over 24 hours later, a white man, 
turned himself into the police. His name was James Harris Jackson. He's now 29. He said he traveled to New York from Baltimore expressly to kill blacks. Jackson grew up in Towson and graduated from Friends School, the, the Quaker School in North Baltimore, served as an army in the Army as an intelligence analyst, and lived in Hampton. In a jailhouse interview with New York Daily News, he said he was from a liberal family, but was angered by interracial dating. So therefore, he takes a sword and kills somebody. Fantastic. He remains in custody awaiting trial on charges of murder as a hate crime and as an act of terrorism. Second person I want to talk about today, Frederick Demond, uh, Demond Scott uh, from Kansas City. Here's the news article. A mysterious series of apparently random killings in Kansas City, mostly committed in isolated spots along walking trails, came to an end when the killer deviated from his pattern with a brazen execution-style shooting in broad daylight on a city street, according to Jackson County prosecutors. The fifth and final killing came shortly after noon on August 13th when 22-year-old Frederick DeMond Scott allegedly followed a man from a city bus, crept up behind him on the street, and shot him in the head before turning and getting right back on the bus. Like the other four victims, Scott is either charged with killing or is suspected of killing Stephen Gibbons was a stranger but fit a specific profile. They were all white men between ages 54 and 67. I want to shoot the school up Columbine style. Kill myself, kill all white people, reads a quote from his municipal record. Scott made those haunting threats three years ago while he was attending uh, Center Alternative School in Kansas City. Another one, guy by the name of Sean Christopher Urbanski. Richard W. Collins III, a 23-year-old African-American Bowie State University senior who had just been commissioned as an Army second lieutenant, was visiting friends at the University of Maryland when he was stabbed at a bus stop. A white University of Maryland student, Sean Christopher Urbanski, 22, who belonged to the racist Alt-Reich Nation Facebook group, was charged with murder and a hate crime. It was the most serious such incident in a year when the state's flagship university found itself repeatedly addressing issues of race and bias. In April, a noose was found in the kitchen of a fraternity house. And in the fall, several swastikas appeared in a dorm and in a restroom stall. In November, university officials announced a more streamlined process for responding to hate-based incidents and said they would hire a coordinator to carry it out. This next person is someone that I actually know. Uh, he's a pastor, a missionary, John Nickerson, and... While we were actually missionaries in Nigeria, this, this man and his family were there with us. And this man was uh, in his front yard. And while in his front yard, in front of his family, he was attacked uh, by, by a Nigerian man and was beaten senselessly without lifting a hand simply because he was white and he believed in Jesus. So I've given you guys, I mean, this is a broad spectrum of events. And there are no shortage of these. I, I Googled, I spent a couple of minutes Googling, and they're just news article after news article after news article. All this information readily available. There's no shortage of this kind of horrific hatred that is boiling over. And, and I, you guys remember the riots in Baltimore. I, I will never forget. There's, there's a couple of memories, newsworthy memories that have been burned in my mind and my heart. One of them was 9-11. I can take you to the place I was standing. I remember it vividly. I was watching it on a screen. The riots in Baltimore are the same thing. My wife and I, I forget why, oh, I forget why I was home early that day, but, but we went home and we sat on our couch for hours, glued to the TV. 
could not believe what we were seeing unfold in front of us in our city right here. And Baltimore, if you guys aren't tracking, Baltimore has moved up the ladder and is notching like right behind Chicago in, in the worst crime city in our country. I mean, it is, it is getting really bad. And, and people are fighting to try to turn this around. I know a, a man very well, Matt Stevens, uh, who, who is, uh, works very diligently in, in a uh, nonprofit organization in the city of Baltimore, constantly working to try to heal and mend the brokenness that's in our city. It's real. It's not something that we, we pretend like doesn't exist. We, you know, we can live outside the city limits and, and assume that they'll just deal with their stuff down there, but that's not what we're called to do. Hate crimes, hatred, bigotry, racism, all of those things are as old as people. It's time. Cain killed his brother Abel. I mean, this is the first family mentioned in the Bible because he hated him because he didn't like the way things were going. And I found a, I found a story kind of tucked away in the Old Testament in Judges. And I quickly will tell this story because it reminded me there was a time when we lived in Africa um, Tribal warfare was a very, a very real thing. I'm sure uh, Pastor Philip can tell things from his country, but uh, it, it doesn't always have to do with the color of skin. It has to do with, with, with uh, culture. It has to do with tribes. Those, these things are as old as time. And so there, there was, a, there was a, a horrific war that was going on in Liberia, and, and literally they would walk up to someone and they would speak to them in a certain dialect, and if they could not respond in the same dialect, they'd just kill them on the street. And this goes way back into the Old Testament. There's a group, uh, one of the 12 tribes that uh, Ephraim was the, the, the tribe. They had already settled into the promised land. The people of Gilead had captured fords at the Jordan River. And when anyone from the tribe of Ephraim wanted to cross those fords, they would ask them, are you an Ephraimite? And if they said yes, they were executed. No questions asked. And so obviously people get smart. They're going to lie. You know, no one wants to die just because you're, you know, where you're from. And so... It just so happened that the, uh, the people from Gilead and the people from Ephraim, they had a, a different dialect, and the words, they, they couldn't always pronounce the same words, and there was one particular word, and the word was shibboleth, shibboleth, and that's the way the Gideonites pronounced it, but the Ephraimites could not pronounce that word. They said it shibboleth. They couldn't make the S-H sound, so they would come to the ford wanting to cross, and they would say, are you from Ephraim? Nope. Say the word shibboleth. <laughs> shibboleth. Boom. 40,000 people over the period of time were executed because they couldn't say SH. I mean, hatred and bigotry are not new to our life. We just now have so much more publicity and so many more ways to promote it and so many more ways to, to keep the fire hot, so to speak. So what is it that Jesus said about this very real issue of hatred? What does Jesus teach about racism, about bigotry, about hatred? What does he say? Because that's how we're supposed to live. Forget my opinions. That's how we're supposed to live. If you're a Christ follower, you live according to the teachings of Jesus. 1 John chapter 4 cuts right to the chase. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And let me just help you with context here. He's not talking about your family member. He's talking about any male or female. 
Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. What was it I told you at the beginning? We're commanded, created and commanded to love others like Christ loves us. So how do we live out this command? You know, I... I've been around church my whole life, right? But I came to the realization that the message of the gospel, the message of the gospel is so simple. It's not complicated. It is not difficult. Christ literally said, when you, if you, anybody, anybody that wants it can have it. The gift of salvation is for everyone. He died on the cross for everyone. It's not difficult. You just have to believe that he is, confess with your mouths, repent of your sins, and he will bring you into his fold. It's so simple. But the teachings of Christ are nearly impossible. <laughs> the, te- the teachings of Christ are difficult to live out. And there's a simple explanation. The reason why the message of the gospel is so free and so open is because Christ knows there's no way you're going to be able to live the way you're supposed to live without the Holy Spirit empowering you. You can't love like Christ's love without him helping you. You can't forgive like he forgives without him helping you. You can't turn the other cheek when someone does you wrong without him helping you. Everybody has their moment when they can't be pushed anymore. It doesn't matter how patient and kind you are, everybody has a button. (laughs) And some people just know how to push that button, right? Just ask my wife. I can push that button. (laughs) Everybody has that moment, but when we have the Spirit of God in us, it changes us. And I know that what I just read about loving people is difficult. What if I was a person that had been abused and mistreated by someone of a different race? Why would I love them? What if I, all I had ever known and been taught was people of a certain color had mistreated you, abused your kinfolks? Why would you love them? God knows that we're not capable of doing this on our own. That is why he gives us his spirit. And that is the beauty of God's grace. It's not a color problem. It's not a political problem. It's not a religion problem. It's not a belief problem. It's a heart problem. Government can't fix racism. They never will be able to. There's no magic potion We read in the article where University of Maryland is going to hire a coordinator. They're going to fix the problem. They're not going to fix the problem because people can't fix hearts, can we? But what does the Bible say? God knows the heart. And he also says that the heart is desperately wicked. And it's him that can... The the psalmist, the psalmist described it this way. He tries the reins of the heart. You know, you ever seen a horse, you're, they're, they're ridden with reins and the reins give them direction. It's the Spirit of God that pulls our heart in the right direction. If we're left to our own devices, we cannot live out what God is telling us to live out. There's a quote that I have heard. You may have heard it too. It's this, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. If you've been abused and mistreated, there's no wonder that you might abuse and mistreat. 
If you've been the victim of people from a certain creed or race or nationality or culture and they've constantly abused you, you will naturally develop hatred towards those people. It's natural because we are broken in our humanity. Those things happen. Hurting people hurt people. Here's why I say the government can't fix it. Here's why I say legislation can't fix it. Here's why I say education can't fix it. Because the Bible tells us that there are some things that are spiritual. And the only way those spiritual things are fixed is if it's done in the spiritual element. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not natural. It's not things that we touch or see. But it's against rulers, against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are things that are going on that cultivate this hatred. Let me tell you something. Satan wants us to hate each other. He wants us to be contrary to the teachings of Christ. He wants there to be constant strife. And, there, and there's, here's another opinion of Andrew. I cannot stand when I see people that have the ability from a religious platform and they do not speak truth when it comes to these issues. When they fan the flames of hatred using the Bible to support it, that is terrible and it happens all the time. Jesus did not teach that way. Jesus said, hurting people hurt people, so let's heal people. Because I believe there's a second to that. Healed people heal people. If hurting people hurt people, healed people heal people. We are called to make a difference. And the way we make a difference is being Christ one person at a time. It doesn't matter if we pack out a stadium to hear the message of the gospel. That's fantastic. But what about Monday? What about Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock when you're in an altercation with someone that you cannot stand? That's where Christ shows up. That's where we're called to be salt and light. Make a difference by living the way Christ lived for us. It's not easy, but it is a heart problem. How do we do this? Matthew chapter 5. Jesus talking again here. Love this passage. He's teaching. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those, I love this, I love this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? In other words, if you just love people that love you back, that's no problem. There's no work involved there. It's easy to love people that love you back. It's difficult to love people that don't love back. And in this time, in this era, he uses this example. He says, are not even the tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors in those days are not much different than they are today. Nobody likes them. <clears throat> and if you greet only your own people, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? That's what the pagans do. And then in verse 48, he drops the bomb. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, that's when I just kind of go home. I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. Not, one of this. not one of us in this room are capable of that. That's why I say you cannot do what Christ calls us to do unless you have the Holy Spirit working in you, empowering you to make that difference, to really be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. In the beginning, he says, love your neighbor. And in that, in that context, someone says, I got a question. 
<laughs> Could you define neighbor, please? Because I kind of like the guy that lives next door to me. I'm good, right? And then Jesus tells a story about a neighbor. And I love how Jesus does because he just kind of, you know, you don't realize it's coming and then bam, you know, you just got hit. He starts telling a story about a, a, a Jew who's on his way somewhere. He's on the road and he's attacked by thieves. He's beaten half to death. He's left in the ditch to die. Oh, everybody's listening. Great story. And then a Jew comes by, ignores him. A priest comes by who's also a Jew, walks on the other side of the street, pretending like he's not there. And then a Samaritan. What? Oh, this story just took a major curve because the Jews and Samaritans were not good friends. They still aren't good friends. <laughs> Haven't been, and I don't guess they ever will be. <laughs> but Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. And he tells a story about this Samaritan who sees the guy, picks him up, takes him to a hospital or a hotel or whatever, pays for his treatment, comes back later, checks on him, he's fine. They're good buddies. Jesus said, that's your neighbor. Whoever is your neighbor. You don't have to live in the same cul-de-sac. It's not the house that sits right beside you. Your neighbor is another human, whoever they may be. Jesus intentionally dealt with that cultural nuance between the Jews and the Samaritans. Why? It's just like we're talking about today when we talk about race, culture, bigotry, hatred. It doesn't matter what color you put on it. It doesn't matter what era you're living in. What is it all? What's the common factor? The common factor is hatred towards another person. You can't love God and hate a brother. There's not enough room in our heart for both of those. James, in the book of James, says it this way. Can you find a well that has salt water and clear water in it and drink it? No, that's brackish water. It's not drinkable. You can't have love and heart, love and hate in the same heart. It's not possible. And what Jesus is asking us today is let me move in and let me just take up all the space. 1 John 4, 11, 19. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. Did you get that? This is how we know that God's in here because of what I'm doing on the outside, how I'm loving other people. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges Jesus as the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. That is an amazing statement. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. What am I supposed to do with that obnoxious person in my life that I cannot stand? I'll let you fill in the blanks. What about those people that just don't un you just don't understand, you don't get them, their culture is offensive to you? What are you supposed to do with those people? What about this? What about those people that are not part of your social network? They're not as smart as you are. 
They're not as accomplished as you are. They don't live in the same kind of community as you. They don't believe like you. They don't dress like you. They're not as masculine as you. They're not as feminine as you. They don't smell like you. They're not cool like you. What about all those people that we categorize and we know how to manage around them? God doesn't call us to manage around people groups. He calls us to love people. Who's, I got a question. Who's my neighbor in that context? Everybody you see is your neighbor in that context. And the message is really clear. Love people. The fruit of the Spirit is Love. The first one that is mentioned in the passage is love. We are meant to emulate the way Christ loved people. How much did he love people? Enough to lay down his life for people. No qualifications. The thing that always gets me about the love of God, worship team, you guys can come. I, always, I, I can't wrap my head around it. But when I think about the love of God and I think about, you know, it's easy for me to say God loves everyone. It's easy for me to say, you know, I have a circle of influence. I have a perspective. I have a window of the world that I view things through. I I get that. It's easy for me to say God loves everybody. But when I say that, there's usually one name that pops in my mind that causes me to hiccup. And it's Adolf Hitler. Like, did, did Christ really die for that guy? Did he really die? Think of the worst person. And, and he's way back in history. It's, there's been more in our day that, that almost are as bad, maybe as bad, I don't know. But when we say Christ loved everyone and gave his life for everyone, that's really what it means. And you and I can't process that. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter how much we try to think about it. We cannot process that. How can you process someone mass murdering people how do you process that god loves them i um you may not have heard of this person uh cory ten boone you may have um they're a family from the world war ii era uh, i've had the privilege in my travels with my family to go to their house where they lived in uh in holland and the story behind this family is when when World War II, before World War II broke out and, and um, there started to be this real shift in, in the government structure when Hitler was coming to power and first of all the Jews were identified and then the Jews were moved into ghettos and the Jews were started to be shipped from the ghettos to concentration camps and the, there was a downward progression of <clears throat> what happened to the Jews during that time frame. This particular family, the Boone family, was they were, were not in agreement with that, that whole philosophy. And they were Dutch by, by birth and lineage, and that was their home. And so they, they began to see the injustice of what was going on. And, and the, the, the dad created, there was a, I went to the house. It was kind of like in Holland they have houses very similar to Baltimore, the, the row home thing, right, where house, 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 tall, skinny ones. And... We went up this staircase, a narrow staircase, and there was a bookshelf that was attached to the wall. And behind that bookshelf, the dad had busted the brick out enough for a person to slip behind. And there was a, there was a, a cubby hole in, in the wall, basically, that could hit, fit about six people or so. And this family began to sneak Jews into this hiding place. And there's a, there's a book called The Hiding Place, a movie uh, called The Hiding Place, all from this story. But he would hide, they would, their family would hide the Jews in this, in this space until they were able to, to move on to the next place, trying to leave the country. Over the course of, of that period of time, over 800 Jews were saved by this family. 
uh, hiding them in this little cubby hole. And at some point, uh, at some point there, there was a, a traitor that, that reported that, that snuck in and figured out what was going on. And so one day, the Gestapo moved in, arrested the entire family, and imprisoned them. And, and uh, Corey had a younger sister called Betsy, who was not as physically fit and healthy as as Corey was, and so they were shipped into prison, they, and then from prison they went to a concentration camp. Ravensbrück was with the name of the place where they were located, and so in that camp, uh, during that incarceration, her 80, I think he was 83 years old, the father, he passed, and, and her younger sister also died in that concentration camp, and so in this event, um, it, she was in this concentration camp for about a year, <clears throat> and I, if you do this study, you'll find out that they don't really know why she was released from the camp. Uh, some say it was a clerical error. Some say it was a miracle. Whatever the case is, I'm pretty sure it was a miracle because no one really knows why she was released. But 12 days after her sister died, Corey was released. And when she was released, it was within the next few days that every woman in that camp was gassed to death. So this lady leaves this, this imprisonment. The war comes to an end, and she begins to share the message of her story and the message of Jesus Christ. And she would travel all over the world preaching and speaking about her encounter and forgiveness and the grace of God and all of this. And I'm going to read you an, an excerpt from the book, The Hiding Place. This was, this was in her words. She says, It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, a former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time, and suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as church was emptying, beaming and bowing. He said, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. He said, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people of Bloomingdale, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I stood, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And listen to this. Put her picture up, Danielle. Corey Tin Boone. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our own goodness that the world's healing hinges but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. I couldn't pretend to be in her shoes ever. 
I cannot imagine the emotion having having delivered a message to a crowd of people about the love of God and stepping down and feeling excited because you've shared the good news and up to you comes your worst nightmare. All the emotion, the thoughts, the memories, the fear, the anger. You, you know how we are. You know how we are. It's how we feel. That's how we are. A song can bring back emotions. A smell can take us to a place. Imagine how she felt. And we get a sneak peek into the struggle of this lady. Let me just simply say, racism, bigotry, hatred is a sin. It's wrong. And those of us that are Christ followers, it is our job, our calling, our purpose to stand against the tide. How do I make a difference? You make a difference by letting the love of God shine through you. Love those that are unlovable. If you don't have an unlovable in your life, maybe you should pray, God, lead me to somebody that needs to experience love.